Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. This is Mike, Sands, Wade, Peter, or Ben. It's been nice. It's been like three or four in a row that I don't have to put up with Wade. He's doing stuff, um, and so he's not around, so I'm in charge. And I brought in a um, pastor from Lafayette, Indiana, whose name is Paul Horn. Say hi, Paul. Hi. And Paul's an interesting uh, guy who has served in uh, outside Louisville, Kentucky, uh, the Atlanta, Georgia area, and now in Lafayette, Indiana. And uh, his ministry has been interesting because he has served kind of in like what we call a home mission field, sort of, where getting a church going and uh, going from being like in a storefront and uh, going through a building project. Um, And now, even though uh, you've only been in Lafayette for a little bit, you're going to be the kind of the campus ministry contact for uh, the Wisconsin Synod for Purdue University over at West Lafayette, but really um, have served a lot, uh, especially with your time in Louisville, uh, with military families. That's correct. And then involved in um, our kind of military chaplaincy kind of program, and we'll let you explain that in a little bit. We're going to skip our free-for-all because we really have a lot of content here, and so I'm going to go right to the disclaimer, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to let Pastor Paul Horn uh, tell us about his ministry. This show doesn't speak for our churches, our church bodies, or our employers. To be honest, much of the time, it probably doesn't speak for us. We will be thinking out loud a lot, so approach what you hear with a healthy skepticism. Because, well, as a responsible resident of planet Earth, that's probably what you should generally do with almost everything. If you find yourself getting too worked up, tune out, look around, and realize you were just listening to a podcast. That's right, a podcast. So go live free, friends, and don't let us get in the way. first let him tell you uh, about himself a little bit and then talk about his ministry kind of in a home mission field and eventually with uh, working with military families. So Paul, where'd you grow up? What's uh, what's your favorite sports team? How many children do you have? That kind of stuff. Yeah. So first of all, thanks for having me on. And if I get distracted, like during the podcast, it's because you have all these pictures hanging up (laughs) in the office here that are just fantastic. And if the uh, listeners could just see this, they would be in awe. And even if you're a longtime listener, and even if you, um, we haven't described this to you, could probably imagine what's on the wall oh, yeah. here. You, yeah, you can tell. Yeah, that was from that episode. That was from that episode. Well, let, let's start with that. What What's your favorite? <laughs> and then I'll describe um, it to the um, uh, to to the audience. Okay. Well, I really like the one at the top there with the uh, Jesus and the third use of the law and the car. <laughs> is like, this is my sermon, and the car is like speeding down the freeway, but then it sees there's an exit, and he's, you can see the smoke from the tires and the exhaust, and he's going off the freeway, you, needing to hit the third use of the law. Right, right. Yeah. So he's he's cruising ahead, going straight for Jesus, and he sees this exit at the last second. That he gets off the exit entitled Third Use of the Law. So uh, <laughs> we, we, we do, you know, whatever this third use of the law is, you know, we do preach that. It's just not you know, Jesus is really what we should end on, and it should be the majority. The gospel predominates, yes. <laughs> so anyway, so yes, um, yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, long-time listener, first-time caller. Great topic, <laughs> love the show for you uh, Bob and Brian fans. <laughs> um, yeah, so my parents were both called workers assigned to uh, schools in Nebraska. Uh, so Nebraska District was my, I guess, my first introduction to the to ministry and the synod. Um, so they were both teachers there. And then my dad took a call to Rhinelander, Wisconsin, which is where I spent a lot of my, my childhood in the Northwoods of Wisconsin. He was a principal, seventh, eighth grade teacher there at Zion in Rhinelander, home of the Hodags. <laughs> and then before my eighth grade year, he took a call to Grace. Downtown Milwaukee was the staff minister there. 
uh, for many years. Just retired this past summer. And lives right, like almost it's right like across the street yeah, from uh, Wisconsin Lutheran College. Yeah. Yep. And so, um, went to Wisconsin Lutheran High School. So you're mm-hmm. a Viking. You're also a Vikings fan. I don't understand that. Yeah. So my dad's from Red Wing, Minnesota. Okay. My mom's from Chicago. And growing up, it was the Bears or the Vikings. And so, chose the Vikings. Longtime Twins fan. Very vividly remember the '87 '91 World Series. Um, so, and they're doing very well. This year, I'm very so far. excited about that. Yeah. So, so far, so, so far, okay, so far. We'll We've heard this before, you know. Uh, what people don't understand, like in that north, I don't know if this is true in Rhinelander, but that northern part of Wisconsin, like if you are in the state of Wisconsin, you're pretty much a Packers fan unless mm-hmm. you have something else. Like there's a there's a dividing line, but in that northern part of of Wisconsin, um, you're really closer to the cities in a lot of places, at least not, maybe not Rhinelander, but a little bit that way. And so that you'll find, true, yeah. you'll find a lot of twins fans up there. Yeah. Um, uh, grew up with that. The twins were a little bit older than the, than the brewers. And so you do have kind of an interesting, interesting mix there. Yeah. So you're okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, graduated Martin Luther college, married, how many children do you have now? Yep. So I met my wife at Martin Luther college and we married after my first year at the seminary. Uh, we have five kids. Uh, oldest will be a senior at Luther prep. Second oldest will be a sophomore. Then we have two girls. Uh, we'll be in eighth grade, seventh grade this year. And then Henry is our youngest. He'll be in fifth grade. So, um, not all of them knew Louisville, Kentucky. Yeah. So we, yeah. So we were just south of Louisville. It, uh, you gotta, you gotta pronounce it right, Mike. It's Louisville. 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 <laughs> Say it. Louisville. 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 Close. Close. I'll work on it. By the end of it, you'll we'll get it. <laughs> so we're just south of there by 40 minutes in Radcliffe, which is right by Fort Knox. So all the kids were born there except for Ethan. He was born before uh, Vicar year. Okay. Um, so, but that's all they knew was Kentucky. Sure, sure. Yeah. So you went from uh, Kentucky then down to uh, Atlanta, Georgia, Georgia, yeah. yeah. And then now, how long have you been in Indiana? Just since February. Okay. So, uh, do your kids like? Which one do they like better? There's, I mean, they talk about all the different places. Uh, they, the only thing that they knew growing up was Kentucky. So, yeah. when we made the transition from Kentucky to Georgia, it was pretty rough on them. Uh, well, it was rough on Becky and I, too, but uh, just that's where they grew up. That's all they knew. Mm-hmm. And all their friends were there, and that was their church home. And so, but My, my youngest, um, having moved from a, a rural, nice pastoral kind of setting to the city, and the city's fine, uh, she only half-jokingly says that I stole her childhood. <laughs> so, like, if she wants stuff, I just give it to her. So, <laughs> I know the pain. So, uh, tell, me, tell me about, yeah, specifically your church um, in Kentucky then. All right. So, when we, when we were sitting in the call service and uh, was it whoever it was that announced where we were going, and my wife and I looked at each other and said, Kentucky, where's Radcliffe? So, we had to go to a, like a physical map because mm-hmm. this was pre-Google Maps days mm-hmm. and and see, oh, there it is. Uh, and we knew nothing about it. And I, I think you, I don't know if you guys did this, because um, you were a year behind me, mm-hmm. or ended up a year behind me, but we had this, like, call day prediction party where... Oh, I did not know we that. Would, <laughs> <laughs> where we would look at who was calling, and we'd kind of, like, guess, like, well, Berg would go here, and Wade would go mm-hmm. here, and, well, Horn, he would go here, and this is why. But that, that wasn't even on the radar, which mm-hmm. was what made it exciting. Sure. Like, wow, Kentucky, okay. So we get there and it's a it's a storefront and it's not a nice storefront. It's mm-hmm. dirty and when it rains the walls leak mm-hmm. and it smells and you try to get people to come to your church and they're like, "Where is that again?" Oh yeah, that's the storefront and they hang up. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it it's it was a lot of work uh, trying to get people just in the doors and there's not much you can do because there's not much space. Uh, what do you offer the community? And uh, to meet their needs and share the gospel at the same time is just, yeah, it was, it was a lot of hard work. And then uh, the, what was it, Fort Knox? So, yeah, Fort okay. Knox was five minutes okay. walking distance from, oh, our, wow. from our doors. And so you, um, you must have had some military families that belonged to just your church? Just a few, yeah. Okay. So, well, quite a few. So we had, and that's how the church started. There was a, 
a handful of Wells families that were stationed at Fort Knox, and they had been driving up to Louisville every Sunday, 45 minutes one way, and they were very faithful in, in doing that. Um, and then they said to the, to the synod, like, why can't we have our church here? Um, so then Michael Zarling was uh, assigned there out of the seminary, I believe. Um, he's now in, I think he's in Racine, okay. Wisconsin or Kenosha, I don't recall. But uh, he, was their, he was their first pastor. And um, after he took the call, then I was assigned there. So, but yeah, it was uh, primarily military. And that made it a challenge, too. Because at that time, Fort Knox was the home of Armour and Cav. So that was a school, and you were there for anywhere from a year and a half to three years, and then you were gone. Mm -hmm. So you'd get these awesome families in there, and then they would leave. Mm -hmm. And you'd be like, oh, what's going to happen next? But the Lord would always send another mm -hmm. uh, top-notch family to, to pick up where the other family left off. Yeah, so and we'll probably gather this a little bit more, but maybe just the idea of... Um, it's a transient population. Let's just say mm -hmm. that's not, it doesn't necessarily have to be a negative word, but probably fairly faithful, put it to get work hard families too. I mean, was that your experience? Yes and no. You, you would have the faithful Wells families that would seek out the Wells church. Mm -hmm. And there were others that would have been there for, for years and like, Oh, we have a Wells church mm -hmm. here. And then it was too late. And then they were mm -hmm. PCSing to another, um, to another installation mm -hmm. so they and then there were other ones that was uh mom would call up and say hey johnny's at basic training can you go visit them mm -hmm. and uh and they were only there for a little bit but they they're 18 and <laughs> uh footloose and fancy sure. free and they have all this they just want to do what they want to do so sure. that that's tough so what was the challenge of okay you're trying to build a church like and get money to have an old building and that's kind of a you know you need how do you get people into a not great building so that you can have people to have a great building right and then the transient nature of okay they're here today and gone tomorrow uh how did, how'd you deal with that trying to grow a group of people into something that was substantial and static okay so <laughs> what happened in radcliffe i tell people i was just along for the ride we did faithful work. It was difficult. But there were some things that worked in our favor. Uh, the Armour and Cav School moved. Uh, the military does this thing called BRAC, which is Base Realignment and Closure, where they evaluate every installation that they have around the world and determine what is the uh, financial impact, what's going on here, do we need to keep this open, should we close it, should we move these folks? And so they moved Armour and, the Armour and Cav School to Fort Benning in Georgia, and they brought in a, a 3rd Brigade combat team from the 1st uh, Infantry Division, which was 3,700 troops and their families mm -hmm. into a town of 24,000. So that was a huge impact on our economy. Uh, it was a little bit of burden on the infrastructure, but also a, it was just a, a big boost for everybody was excited mm -hmm. that this group was here. But we were at war which meant units would be deploying, which meant families would be left home, uh, which would mean temptations for our troops down when they're downrange mm -hmm. and temptations for the families as they're home. Mm -hmm. And then you have the transition of the redeployment where they come home and the, we'll just say it's a husband who's infantry and he's been shot at just about every day and mortar rounds coming into his, um, into his fob every night and then he comes home and that's what he was used to and and now how do you make that transition and so there's issues at home too mm -hmm. um so dealing with those families and supporting them and just learning that lifestyle was uh was difficult during that during that time that that brigade combat team mm -hmm. was there and they're going off to war mm -hmm. Um, but that brought in a whole slew of new people into the community, which meant more people that we had access to that we could say, hey, we have something that is sure and certain. Going to war, I don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but here you, you have stability. You have this church family. Mm -hmm. um, and so we would have uh, some of our very dear friends from, from Radcliffe that uh, 
she, her husband was in at war. She came to church with her two kids one Sunday. After church, she says, Pastor, what do I need to do to become a member of this church? Mm-hmm. And you're just going, where did this come? Right. God just drops them in your lap. Right. And, and But then she was nervous because her husband <laughs> didn't really do church. Mm-hmm. And so she's like, okay, he's going to come home. I'm doing this church thing. Pastor, you're just going to have to be cool and mm-hmm. whatever. Um, but he came, took the classes. They became members. He eventually became uh, the president of our our building building project. So, well, tell us. A little, we'll we'll come back to like how do you deal with? Sorry, yeah, I was you, going you, a no, bit no, no. It was perfect. Uh, the few different stages, you know. Okay, somebody at war, somebody left behind, while somebody else is at war. The transition in, right? Plus, not only that, but moving and stuff like that. I mean, there's a lot going on there. Uh, so you were able to uh, build there in Radcliffe, correct? Correct. Right? So was that frustrating, fun, exciting, all of the above? Yes, yes, and yes. <laughs> so this happened during 2008. Uh, so I'd been there for four years, and we're, we had bought property. It was uh, just under five acres. It was a, a great location. Um, lots of people coming through through our Bible information class. We're starting to run out of space in the storefront, which is mm-hmm. a great problem, which is awesome for, hey, we really need to build a new building. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had a, a brand new church council. We had established a building committee. We're getting ready to hire an architect and a general contractor. In 2008, mm-hmm. the economy decides to take a dump. Mm-hmm. And the mission board calls us and says, uh, by the way, we're withdrawing subsidy from mm-hmm. you. Um, so you have a choice. You know what's going on there. You could request a call out of there or you could stay and, and try to make a go of it. Mm-hmm. So I present this to the congregation and they say, no, pastor, we're going to stay. We're mm-hmm. going to keep going. Mm-hmm. So we, we did a capital campaign. Um, we started building uh, CEF, our church extension fund, our bank, they would call us and say, well, how come you haven't drawn on your loan yet? Mm-hmm. It's like, well, because we have enough money mm-hmm. right now from this small group of people in this storefront um, who said, no, we're going to stay in, and we're mm-hmm. going to do this. So we built a beautiful facility, and uh, God blessed it. And, um, yeah, so that was that was that. What was it like, uh, you know, being able to design a church from a theological point of view? I oh, mean, man, everything's like, okay, yeah, 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 bathrooms, I get that. However. <laughs> so much fun. Uh, were you able to kind of like say, okay, this is my expertise. Let me let me have my way. Um, were you able to, uh, they were just like, yeah, you take all those kinds of things, uh, whatever you want. How did that work out? Yeah, so... I, I guess if you were to ask some of the people there, maybe they would say, well, Pastor kind of pushed <laughs> a little bit on this stuff. But I tried really hard to instruct them yeah. and say, let's look at Lutheran architecture. Mm-hmm. So we would go to Dresden mm-hmm. and look at the, uh, the Frauenkirche yep, yep. Okay, and say, why did they design it this way uh, with that single axis of the means of grace? Why mm-hmm. did they do that? Mm-hmm. Um, why were the ceilings so high and vaulted the way that that they were. Why did they put the stained glass windows in? Why does a baptismal font have eight sides to mm-hmm. it? Uh, all of those things. So, yeah. and we even took our architect and our general contractor through that same Bible study. They sat and listened to me cool. teach them about Lutheran <laughs> architecture. But we were blessed to have an architect that was Catholic. Mm-hmm. And he came to the divine service two or three times just to see how we moved and how we functioned. Mm-hmm. So that he could take that and then and put that into the building and say, okay, this is what you do as Lutherans. And I get that as a Catholic. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to make that look sexy then mm-hmm. in, the, in the new building. Sure. And uh, so I think it's probably a unique thing for an architect to be able to say, all right, I got to make all this work. I got to make this. I got to make the flow of people work. I got to make the building code work. I need to key under budget. But also to... Um, have those kinds of sensibilities, mm-hmm. right? And care about your the people that you're serving in that way. Yeah. Um, it's a pretty unique thing. So worked out well. Oh yeah. Yes. Good. 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 Yeah. And uh, for the chancel furniture, we commissioned uh, Nathan Pope okay. to design and 
And then later on, we had a member of our church whose husband died, and, and she had all this money, and she said, Pastor, we really need stained glass windows in mm -hmm. here. But we designed the building with the, uh, the window frames uh, built in such a way that you could easily insert stained mm -hmm. glass windows because mm -hmm. we knew eventually we wanted to do that. Sure. So we commissioned him to do that as well. And so when people stepped into the building, they went, wow, yeah. uh, this is a place of worship. This is different. And you could take them around to all of the stained glass windows and take them to the altar and the font and the ambo and say, this is law and gospel. And this is just walking in the building. You could teach all of those things just using the building. And uh, did you feel, I mean, kind of a game changer from going from a storefront to an actual building that looked like a church? Yes. Yeah. You get people come to your church just because they're curious and they want to check it out. Mm -hmm. And then you get them into the Bible information class. And, like, yeah, and these, we, pe these people care yeah. about their, their surroundings. Yeah. So you just didn't go with the cheapest A-frame no, metal? We did not. No, we spent a, we, well, we pulled the congregation and we said, what's important to you? And they said, well, pastor worship is most important. Um, fellowship and education, those are after that. So we're going to spend the most amount of money in the sanctuary. So the building committee then took that and ran with it and said, we're going to put all of our money in into this space here and the other stuff we'll we'll see what we can mm -hmm. do yeah and so uh, uh, not a utilitarian functional kind of space right which is not something that the church has always been good at in america <laughs> right <laughs> let's just say that yeah right um and in other architecture in america too where we see uh, uh things that were utilitarian we go eh, you know end up we do care about those spaces. So um, you went from storefront to uh, a parish, and then when the, the going was good, you left? <laughs> I, I, <laughs> that's what pastors I, do. Yeah. We don't say uh, when the going's tough, we leave. We go, all right, that's good. So now I'm, I'm out to the next thing. So tell us about your parish in Georgia. So when I got the call to, to Georgia, things were good, and I had kind of, and I had this conversation with my wife, too, I just kind of, it's like, okay, now what? Because I had a clear goal, and the congregation did too. It was like, get out of that storefront let's, and, and be in the community um, and establish ourselves as a, a congregation that's friendly to military and our veterans, uh, but also we want to share the gospel with them. And, and, and we did that. And then it was like, okay, now what? Uh, and the call to Georgia came, and, and there were some opportunities there. Um, when I got there, there was some internal things that needed to be taken care of first. And I don't want to say it was a distraction from what we were trying to do there, but um, it, it took some time and some effort and uh, went, through, went through some things in Georgia that um, hmm. I, that, that made me dive deeper mm -hmm. into my devotional life that I hadn't in the past. And I read more in those five years than I had the first 10 years of my ministry and valued the, not that I didn't before, but the, the, the brothers mm -hmm. uh, there in that circuit and, and district. Um, so, yeah, that's, well, that's, I mean, and, and think, you know, that's why I, really wanted to talk about this and not just military because I kind of got this picture of, okay, so storefront, you know, exciting, let's do this. And then, but also uh, sometimes a pastor is, all right, let's, not that this is the case f with you, but it has been the case with other people. I don't, I don't know enough of your situation there and we don't need to talk about that, but um, all right, I'm a transition guy, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. you know, I'm going to be here for stability i'm going to be here the the steady hand um but when it comes for the future somebody else i mean is that fair to kind of describe kind of a different situation between in radcliffe and then in georgia yeah and and one of the one of my dear friends down in georgia he very wisely saw that uh, listening to my story and in, in radcliffe and and being there with me in in Georgia and saying, you know what, this is the kind of guy that you are. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. It's okay for you to be that kind of, uh, kind of pastor. Mm -hmm. And, and what I'm learning too, with, uh, you know, studying vocation now, uh, really, 
I don't want to say for the first time, but just really diving into that going, God puts you in, in, in certain places at certain times for a certain purpose. And, and it may not be till eternity till you look back and go, okay, this is why this is right. why this happened. Right. Uh, but right now, just from an earthly standpoint, looking at it going, well, maybe that's what, that's, that's maybe what he's built me to, to be. Sure. I don't, I don't know. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I can think of many, many pastors who have looked back and, and even going into a situation said, I ne- I'm here for a fairly singular purpose. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And uh, it's not going to be a long-term deal and that for me or for the congregation, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. So now, um, totally kind of somewhat similar but different. So back in the storefront? Yes. Um, I love it. But have this, so you've done this before, and I'm sure there's probably like, not going to make that mistake again, or we're going to do that. But, but also you have the campus ministry sort of connection there yes. with, with Purdue and West Lafayette. Yeah. So uh, tell us about what's scary, what, what's, what's excites you about this similar but new situation, but what also is going to be challenging that's going to keep you um, from being a lazy 40-year-old pastor <laughs> in his 40s, but are going to be like, I got to go, I'm young, I'm young, I'm, you know, I mean, go, 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 learn yeah. something new, yeah. What, what excited me about it was the back in the storefront again uh, with just a small group of people and, and having the confidence to come in and say, I, I've been here before. I, I know that I can do this um, w- with the help of God and, and these people moving forward. And, and being able to share with them, this is what we did with the building project, not that we're going to duplicate it, but let's not make this mistake yeah, again yep, yep. and, and st- steer them in the right direction. And that's kind of what they were looking for. And, and like pastor, we don't want you to be the b- building committee chairman, but we are going to rely on you mm-hmm. to help steer us in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited to, uh, to bring those things back to uh, building a new church again, where, where people can walk in and go, this is a house of God and something special happens here. And I would imagine for those people who are like, can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, say, don't worry, we'll get there. It'll, it'll, it'll be seem, okay. it'll be, it'll go like this. When you're, yeah. Um, so liturgical changes this time around, what are you going to, are you going to, well, they, so one of the things that is, is different is that they, they have an architect already and they've done some of the design work and this one has that single access of the means of grace, which I'm kind of excited about. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that, not that we are going to keep that. We could change it because we're still in that stage where we could change some things around. Um, but to, uh, to bring those things, to be able to teach the people and say, this is why we're doing yeah. what we're doing. Yeah, very yeah. cool. I'm sure it'll be, I, I, you know this from teaching catechism and going through the pericope and being at different churches, doing something a second, third time around actually can be very, you know, like, I've thought about this more, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, so that's very cool. So uh, back to kind of uh, tell us more about like your involvement with, uh, you know, serving military families. I mean, what, like you have a role within our synod, is that correct? Or used to, or? Yes. So spending 10 years in that community, uh, Radcliffe was, had the second highest retention rate of of veterans. So people would come through Radcliffe or Fort Knox uh, (laughs) and go through the armor and cab school typically they'd get sent to to germany or to europe and find a a german wife bring (laughs) her back to the states they'd travel all over the place and then they would remember uh kentucky because it had the same climate um it was a lower cost of living you had the the px and the commissary right there on post you had the va up in louisville um so they had all of these things and so and they remembered that and so we had a very large german population like german speaking population in radcliffe where we had German services. Uh, we had the Erntedankfest, we had uh, Heilige Nacht, we had Ostertag. Um, so we had a, a, a veteran who spoke Czech and German, French and, and English. And so he would do the majority of the German service and I would read the readings mm-hmm. and the German ladies would say, Pastor, no, you gotta say it this way. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but having, gotten into the community and, and knowing the or establishing relationships with the chaplains on post was very rewarding. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got to know the, the chaplain at the warrior transition battalion uh, for wounded warriors very, very well. So we had opportunities to do things mm-hmm. with soldiers on Fort Knox and in the community that 
uh, we wouldn't have had if we just just embrace this is who our people are and we're going to serve them and get so, to know them. So veterans, active duty, guys, newbies, guys, active duty, going to war, coming back to war, the families left behind. I mean, all of it, yep. really all of it in that. And so um, uh, how did you manage all of those different categories? I mean, I, I wonder, did it take a little bit for you to say, okay, not every soldiers the same in the same situation um, yeah. uh, to speak to that so you get I, I spoke about this earlier where mom mom would call from Kansas and say hey Johnny's in basic can you go see him and I could because I, I had a relationship with the uh, a very good relationship with the the chaplain that was in charge of the basic trainees so I'd call him up and say hey I got this kid here and he's like yeah you can come in at 0500 on Sunday morning I said not a problem um, and they would give me a, a, the sergeant's day room is what it's called. And, and so you walk in the barracks and they're doing PT and they're cleaning. And uh, you, you walk in there and the desk sergeant's like, can I help you? As a civilian mm-hmm. walking in there. And I said, well, I have an a, appointment with so-and-so. And so he would just yell out of his office, up the stairwell. And then all you hear on every floor of the barracks is this kid's name. Mm-hmm. He is scared to death, running down the stairs, staying at attention, and he sees me. He's like, what's this civilian doing here? He's like, yeah, this guy's here to see you. And I tell him, hey, I'm the local Wells pastor. And you just see the weight come off of his shoulder. He's like, oh, I'm so glad to see you. He gets to skip PT and cleaning, and, and we go into the sergeant's day room, and he just is just crying. And like, I miss my home. I miss my family. What am I doing here? And... Um, to be able to share God's word with him and say, it's going to be okay mm-hmm. and give him communion um, and then send him back. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to be able to have those experiences, to, to meet that kid where he is there. And then you have the, the veteran who has gone to combat maybe two, three more times to go to a, uh, the, the welcome back ceremony where you go in this gymnasium and it's full of family and there's patriotic music playing Mm -hmm. and um, they have this huge curtain that separates you from where the troops come in and then they open the doors and you can hear them come in and everybody's going crazy and then they're playing like toby keith angry american (laughs) song and the curtain comes up and you see this whole unit of troops staying at attention people are going nuts Um, and then they do their little ceremony and then the families just rush in and they're crying and hugging and then serving that family then through the deployment when their spouse was away, uh, making sure that there was a kind of like a mentor for the, for the spouse, especially if it was a female say, could you just call her, Mm -hmm. go over to her house and say, I'm taking your kids because a a military spouse will not ask for help. Mm -hmm. You have to go and say, I'm taking your kids. You go get your nails done. You go to a movie, even if it's by yourself, mm-hmm. I'm watching your kids um, so that you can have this time to yourself. Mm-hmm. But to do those things, we had a, uh, a retired army tank mechanic um, who had a, a lawn tractor that had a bumper sticker on the back that said army retired and still serving. And he did because he would take his lawn tractor to every single um, home of a spouse that was deployed and he would mow their grass for free. And he would do the trimming and the edging. He wouldn't just mow, but he, mm-hmm. I mean, he would take care of them. Um, but then, so to make that separation manageable, I would sit down with a couple before the spouse deployed and have a devotion and give them both the same devotion book and say, look, when, you're, when he's downrange and you call, you're going to complain about the kids, and he's going to not be able to talk about the things that he's doing. Mm-hmm. How was your day? Fine. How was yours? Well, it sucked because the mm-hmm. kids are sick. Mm-hmm. Now you have something that is uh, deeper and more meaningful that you can talk about, which is God's word, and that's what's going to keep you connected. And when you get back, it's going gonna, it's gonna to help. So were you able to, I don't know, to put you on your spot, but were you able to take some of the veterans and hook them up with, you said the families too, but, uh, you know, the, the single guy first time in basic training, I mean, was there any kind of connection there? You were, that, that wouldn't be military, but it would be outside, you know, in the church or anything, something like that. 
We, yeah, with the basic trainees, that's a good question. They, they're owned by, sure, by sure. the military, so you have no access to them. Yeah. Uh, but once they're done with that, then they go to AITs, which is their advanced individual training. So this is their MOS, their military operational specialty. So if I'm going to be a tank mechanic, that would be my mm-hmm. MOS. Um, if I'm going to be uh, ar- artillery, that's my MOS. And so once they go through that, then the army can move them around. But if they stay there at Fort Knox, then we can continue to serve them. Mm-hmm. As far as off, off post, uh, we had uh, one of the things that we did, the, the president of the congregation, I started a beer of the month club. Uh, so we, every, every month somebody would, uh, somebody would host at their home mm-hmm. and they would supply a, a craft beer. <coughs> this is when craft beers were starting to sure. uh, grow in, in uh, popularity and everybody would bring an appetizer and we'd play cornhole and, and just hang out. Mm-hmm. And it was a place for guys to, to mm-hmm. be. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was one thing we did. And, and do you feel like, uh, I'm just wondering about, okay, you're, you're a military guy pulled out of your family, you know, stuck in this thing and there can be a great brotherhood there and that's great, but it may not have the same spiritual kind of thing and, mm-hmm. and a unique thing. Uh, okay. But the, here's my spiritual family in the church and that feels like home a little bit, but that to have kind of a, a veteran military presence there kind mm-hmm. of can bridge both gaps or, or bridge those two things together. Yeah. That, because I, I haven't been in the military. I haven't worn the boots. I haven't put on the uniform. I haven't been in. Com- I haven't had people trying to take my life. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that's like. Mm-hmm. But I can hook them up with somebody that has and say, "Hey, can you just check on this guy? Um, he's kind of having a, a a rough a rough time." But but then they would understand. I, I know where he's he's go what he's going through, and and he knows that I can listen, and I'm not going to judge him. But but there again, they had to be careful because there was this, uh, th- there was a, uh, a, a, what do you want to call it, um, officer in, enlisted. Mm-hmm. There's a difference there. Mm-hmm. And th- the two did not get together in, in mm-hmm. social settings. You, you had your enlisted people and you had your officers. Uh, but then you're at church and it's a little bit awkward for them, but they also understand, but there's something more here that we're part of the, the, the church, this is our family. Mm-hmm. And so they, they could cross that, I don't know what you call it, a social barrier. Sure. Yeah. Well, you think, I mean, you can think of the early church, right? You have, you have this, not just a, uh, uh, the Gentiles and Jews all of a sudden meshed together. Mm-hmm. You have people at different classes where every other situation, this was slave and slave owner. And now all of a sudden this is your brother and sister in Christ. It's yeah. well, it didn't work out all that well in Corinth, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's something that probably regular Joe, like me doesn't really maybe appreciate, mm-hmm. but you probably saw that from afar. Yeah. 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 So, um, what about the families left behind? I mean, how, how difficult was that? Uh, I had imagined from a pastor it's, provided quite a few opportunities that probably wouldn't have had if everybody was, if they were all accountants. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So tell us about that. We, so our family had a very uh, unique opportunity to, to participate in, in that type of ministry because my uh, brother-in-law was well, my, my wife's sister married a, uh, a young man that was, that was in the military and he just happened to be stationed at Fort Knox and deployed twice out of Fort Knox while we were there. So we had opportunity to, to serve family, and they had kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so for us to be able to go over there and say, hey, we're going to take the kids so that you can get the things done that, that you need to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then there is that, uh, 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 not necessarily with, with her and her husband, but with, but with other spouses, we could see this, that there was that tension that you're away and I, and I resent you for that, Mm -hmm. but I also understand that this is your job. Mm -hmm. Um, but, and at the same time, you might not come back the same person. Mm -hmm. And, and we saw that time and time again, where the, the spouse would come back and they were different. Not, not that they all would come back with diagnosable PTS, Mm -hmm. but they had that combat stress, that, that hypervigilance, that, uh, um, 
uh, I don't want to, maybe even suspicion of, of everybody because you had to be that way over there. You mm-hmm. always had to be on your guard. Um, and so they were different when they came back. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to be able to sit down with both of them and say, you know what, it, it'll, it'll be okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you still have Christ as the center of your marriage. And these things, we're going to walk through them together. Yeah, it'll take time. We get that. But this is the constant that has been through with you through this entire ordeal. Um, I'm guessing that uh, your first year of doing that to your 10th year in doing that, you got a little better oh, right. at it. <laughs> so I got a good, yeah. So for first week that I'm there, Becky's parents, that's my wife, Becky's parents come down to uh, Kentucky and uh, we had some time to kill. So her dad and, and I were like, well, let's check out Fort Knox. So we get there. He didn't bring his license with him. So we get to the gate, and the MP is like, uh, can I help you? I'm like, yeah, we're, we're new to the area, and we just want to check it out. He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, <laughs> well, we just kind of want to drive around. He's like, what do you want to look at? I'm like, well, I don't know. We've never been here before. We just want to <laughs> check it out. Let me see your IDs. I show him my driver's license. Dad's like, oh, I don't have mine. He's like, you guys need to go up here and park <laughs> and stay in the car. We will come to you. <laughs> Don't do anything. So that was my first experience. And after that, then I knew I needed to have my driver's license. I needed to tell them this is where I'm going mm-hmm. and know exactly where I'm going. Sure. So that, uh, yeah. So because of that experience, just doing those things on post, having members or uh, members and neighbors that were military or veterans and just listening to their story and saying, oh, you're this, you're enlisted, tell me about that. Mm-hmm. Or you're an officer, how did that, how did that happen? And mm-hmm. play dumb and say, you know, tell me about sure, that. Sure, sure. Um, what, what is it like to do this? Um, so, And not be the guy like, oh, I know that because I read something about, yeah. No, no, yeah. no. Uh, but but now having been able to to do this for the past however many years, the experiences that I've had that most people would not have been able to do, um, being able to go on post and and, and get in a tank, mm-hmm. uh, an Abrams M1A1 tank that has a 120 millimeter round in it that uh, that when it would fire it would shake our house, mm-hmm. and uh, we always joked that our pictures were never straight on the walls because they the, the house was always shaking, <laughs> um, but. It going out to the range with my brother-in-law and firing a 50 cal off the top of a Humvee and mm-hmm. um, ah yeah it's good times but <laughs> because of that then I was brought into the military the Wells Military Services Committee and said w- they said we want you to be part of our committee um, and then Joel Yeager had been the uh, Pastor Joel Yeager had been the the committee chairman for the past like. 12 previous 12 years um and the conference of presidents then asked me said we we would like you to to take this over so uh, but i on the committee serving on the committee that we have veterans most of the committee is veterans uh and there are a few pastors uh but the veterans are the ones that make things happen Mm -hmm. uh, because (laughs) i i I just staying on track and Mm -hmm. kind of like wade like oh there's a squirrel what do i do here (laughs) like no pastor we need to do this i'm like okay go and do that yeah so and so i mean just serving those families um you know with you know what types of things did you learn what type okay the first year pastor paul horn has a family that's okay dealing with um coming back from combat and the the 10-year veteran uh, what would you say differently to those? And and let's couch it into we may have listeners where this is a real situation for them. I yeah. mean, what would you what would you say to them? Listen, just listen to them and just let them talk, um, and and just kind of see where they're at, and then always take them back to the cross and say, I I always tell them I don't know, mm-hmm. I don't know what you're going through. Because I, I don't, this is not what I do. Um, I, I've never done this before. But there is somebody who's been through this situation before, um, and they know pain, and they know suffering, and they know separation, and they know loss. Uh, they know the, he knows these things, and he's your Savior, Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this is what he promises you. Um, and, and, to do, and to do that. First year Paul would find a passage and say, this is, this is the solution <laughs> to your problem. And they'd look at me like, Pastor, that's not my problem at all. Right. And that doesn't help. 
Right. I'm like, but it's God's word. This is yeah. what it says. Like, no. Yeah. But to listen to them sure. and see where they're at and to, and to meet them where they're at and, and, uh, and be okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. Turns out Christ is the answer. Absolutely. At the end. Yeah. yeah. So, um, this committee, this stuff, tell us what you, what, uh, what it does. What's what, why is it important? So military services committee, uh, their mission is to serve all of our wells, military personnel and their families, whether they're active duty reserve or guard, if they're in the States or overseas. And the way they, the way that we do that is with our 125 military contact pastors. So these are pastors who were like me when I was in Radcliffe. I'm the pa- pastor that's closest geographically to this military installation. So if uh, Mike and Amanda, Mike's uh, uh, Army First Sergeant, mm-hmm. and he gets transferred to Fort Knox, he can he knows that, or he can find out that uh, Paul Horn is the closest Wells pastor, and so I would be the contact for for that installation. So our job then is to train those military contact pastors to better understand the military mindset and things like the pre-deployment, deployment, redeployment, uh, PTS, uh, getting on an installation, establishing the relationship with the chaplains, um, giving them resources, and that, that's our job. So one of the things that we do is annually we hold a military contact pastors conference uh, just in April, this past April, we were in San Diego, and we had a three-day conference where we had presenters come in, and uh, some of them were pastors, some of them were veterans, uh, some of them were uh, military wives or spouses that came and said, hey, this has been our experience, and this is how you pastors can help us. Uh, we got to travel to Camp Pendleton, meet with the chaplain uh, on, on the uh, Marine Corps base there at, at Camp Pendleton, and uh, eat in the uh, chow hall, mess hall, defect, whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it, and and have those experiences. Um, so we we do that every year. Um, we also serve our military with our European uh, chaplaincy, and that came about back in the Vietnam era. Um, in during Vietnam, we actually had civilian pastors, Wells pastors, who were in uh, were in the combat zone, serving our Wells members in in Vietnam. When we were done with the Vietnam War, a lot of the uh, of the troops were stationed in, in Europe. And we saw that a lar- large concentration of our Wells members were in Europe, and we said, well, we need to keep serving them. And so since the 1970s, we've had 18 different uh, European civilian chaplains that have served our, our military, uh, DOD, or civilians that are stationed in, in Europe. Uh, we also have a buildup of troops in the Pacific, and so we've had uh, the pastor in Honolulu fly over there. We've had some of our world missionaries fly to where our troops are in the Pacific and, and serve them that way. Um, so that's our, our, main, uh, our, our main mission is to serve our active uh, military service men and women and their families. Just curious, I mean, do you have numbers of how many? I mean, I'm sure you don't have contact for everybody, but you had a rough estimate of how many people you're serving. So if we took the average of uh, the, the percentage of, of our uh, civilian popula- or population in the United States is, I can't remember the number off the top of my head, uh, but we took that, av- or that percentage and we applied it to our Wisconsin Synod, we should have 1,300, 1,400 Wisconsin Synod members that are in the military. Right now on our list, we have maybe 400. Mm-hmm. So the way that we get names is through our referral system, which is wells.net slash refer. So if, let's say, you have a son who is uh, enlisting <coughs> in the military, uh, we would encourage you, say, Mike, please, 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 refer your son on wells.net slash military, or wells.net slash refer, and that way we know where your son is. And when he PCSs to another installation we know where he goes and we can serve him we can connect him to uh the the closest wells pastor and uh for you may not know this but let's think of all of our bases in the united states first of all and say do we have somebody close by to every base or we miss it we got a couple gaps yeah we do have gaps but we we track that so that we know uh there's vacancies in i think we have like three or four vacancies right now as far as military contact pastors go, and we know that, so we let the vacancy pastor know, 
hey, by the way, mm -hmm. your congregation is close to this installation. Mm -hmm. Make sure you're aware of that. Mm -hmm. uh, we've also appealed to the Conference of Presidents to, to include a letter uh, with the, that the calling congregation has a letter that they send to the pastor that they're calling that says, by the way, mm -hmm. we're calling you to be our pastor, but we're also calling you to, um, to also serve our, our troops at this installation because that's a part of our community and mm -hmm. our culture. Mm -hmm. um, so that the pastor going in knows uh, this is what I'm, what, something yeah, that I can expect. It's on the radar, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah good. So um, let's speak to um, maybe uh, coming back from deployment. I mean, what, what, what uh, speak now to the soldier who just got back. I mean, what do you, what do you, what do you say? <laughs> I leave them alone yeah. because it's the honeymoon period mm -hmm. and they're back with their family. And usually they have like a 30, 30 day block leave where they just can go do whatever they, they do have, uh, classes, seminars, things that they need to go through because the military understands when our troops come back that, that they might be dealing with some things. Mm -hmm. And so they have people there ready to say, hey, this is where you go for this. This is where you go for that. Um, so we welcome them back, uh, especially if they come back to worship with their family. Mm -hmm. and, and we recognize that in the service and say, hey, so-and-so is back safely. We've been praying for you this whole time. Um, and, 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 and embrace that. Um, but also just kind of let them be with their family typically what we've experienced is that three to four months after deployment, that's when stuff happens. Mm -hmm. um, that's when you get the rub with the, with the marriage and with the kids and, and with the job. And um, so, so that's, that's what we look for is that three to four months after that, that we check in and say, Hey, how are things <coughs> going? Can mm -hmm. I take you out for a beer mm -hmm. um, and just listen? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, what else would you say about maybe to a, a Lutheran congregation or any Christian congregation that says, okay, you got, you have members that are uh, in the military. Uh, what can you, what can you do? When, well, first of all is to, again, just listen to them, take them out for a beer and just ask them, Hey, what is it like being in the military? Cause I don't know. Mm -hmm. And just to gain that perspective, but there are some questions that we never ask. Did you kill anybody mm -hmm. when you were deployed? Mm -hmm. um, did you see anybody die? Y you don't ask those questions. Uh, you, you, you just don't. Uh, but just to ask, what, what is it like to be, t tell me about this. Tell me more about this so that I know what you're going through, what, how this works, this whole military, military life. Um, so I would do that. I would, uh, I would get on I don't want to say get on board with, but, but maybe think about or consider being part of the Lutheran military support group. So this was a, a group started by Wells and ELS veterans uh, a, a couple of years ago, and they saw a need for ministry to veterans because that, that's not something that we did in the Wisconsin Synod, mm -hmm. at least not as far as a organization or a ministry. So they said, this is something that's lacking, and, and we're going to do something about it. And so they put this organization together and they want a, a veteran liaison in every Wells and ELS congregation that promotes ministry to veterans. And so what a lot of congregations that uh, who do this will get a bulletin board, they'll contact all the veterans in the congregation, get their old uh, picture of when they're in the military and they put it up, um, Veterans Day. They do a big thing at, at church where they recognize all of the veterans. Uh, Memorial Day weekend, they'll, they'll maybe have a special prayer and recognize, hey, there are people that, that gave their lives for our country and, and just and, and point that out. Armed Forces Day, uh, not many people know when that is. Do you know when? I do not know when. Okay. Why, why are you going to ask me that? <laughs> yeah. So Armed Forces Day is the third sa Saturday in May, which okay. not many people know. I would have guessed June. Okay. So I don't know. Yeah. So Armed Forces Day is a big deal for the military. And that was a big deal in Radcliffe. There's a huge uh, festival called Hooray for Heroes. And so our church was had a booth at that festival every year uh, to make contacts mm -hmm. in the community. So just being aware of those things, uh, congregations should know that. Mm -hmm. um, uh, being aware of, of when somebody 
does deploy, uh, whether it's uh, a son or daughter of the congregation or if it's uh, a grandparent, aunt, uncle, whatever, say, hey, Johnny is in this congregation, but they're deploying. And that congregation maybe uh, adopts that, that mm-hmm. soldier, Marine, uh, airman, sailor, Coast Guardsman, whoever it may be. Make sure I get all five in there. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and write them letters. Send them a care package. Um, and we have resources for that on our uh, our military website, wells.net slash military. What to send, what not to send in a care mm-hmm. package, how to do that. So all sure. of that's there. So those are things congregations can do. Let's maybe go a little bit deeper theologically. I, I can remember uh, uh, this one situation. Not a mem- member of my church. I was actually in California. And, uh, clearly an older veteran who clearly had not dealt with the guilt of killing. And um, he had worked on ships. Um, and so uh, even though he didn't see the person, his, mm-hmm. his enemy, he knew what his action produced. And uh, clearly by, by his, the way he, his demeanor and his um, ability to drink, <laughs> was not dealing with that. And he said so. Um, and I don't know how you dealt with that. I, I didn't have much time with this. This man was actually at a hotel. It's a long story, but um, we we're staying at the same hotel. Uh, my, my first inclination was to talk him out of his guilt. But it kind of dawned on me that this guy's repenting, and I... I was spending my whole ministry with my people, not in the military and getting them to repent <laughs> so mm-hmm. I could forgive them. Kind of, you not that that's sounds bad, but you know, some law and you know, you actually need this forgiveness. And here was a person here that was maybe feeling guilty for something that he shouldn't have felt guilty for. So I absolved him and then talked about, okay, this is, uh, and, and, and Luther of course is very good at, you know, can a soldier still be saved? Um, talking about, uh, the, the ethics of that too. Mm-hmm. So uh, tell me your experiences about that. I'm sure that it came, came across that. Yeah. yeah. I have, I have shared that uh, treatise by Luther with, with um, troops in the past. And that's been helpful to them. Uh, the, the, his article on uh, just war, mm-hmm. uh, because there were, there were some soldiers who had an issue with uh, what we were doing in Afghanistan or Iraq. Mm-hmm. Um, and so sharing that with them helped them. But then whether soldiers too, excuse me, whether soldiers too can be saved was very helpful to them mm-hmm. too. <laughs> Your question's pretty deep. With killing, again, just asking them to, and, and getting, to 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 have them open up is is the first issue mm-hmm. because they won't mm-hmm. because you didn't wear the uniform mm-hmm. uh, and you don't get it mm-hmm. but to establish that relationship with them and for them to know that I am not going to report this that's a big thing uh, that's why I, I don't want to I don't have uh, numbers or percentages on this but a lot of guys or gals won't say anything. Mm-hmm. Because they know that it's it could go on their record. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing too is that I'm army strong. Uh, I'm I'm not a weakling, and I I'm going to get through this. I can get through this. So the first thing is just to establish that trust and and to to let them know I, I'm just here to listen, um, and, and there is an answer for for the problems that 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 you have. Once you establish that relationship, and and you once you establish that trust, just to let them talk, um, and, and sometimes. With military, I don't know if this is your experience with this guy, uh, but with language and the things that they talk about and, and the way that they talk about them, to just let them be that way, mm-hmm. to let them talk. Mm. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. And say, you know, we'll we'll deal with that later. But I always say when the, when someone cursed at me, I'm like, oh, I'm you know, I'm sorry, your pastor. I'm like, oh, don't worry, I'm Lutheran. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. So yeah, but but first of all, to to establish that trust and that relationship, and then uh, and then to to let them talk, uh, and and sometimes when you when you dig a little bit deeper, you find out that this guilt this guilt is not is not real, but that that it's just it, it really is in their uh, in their minds, 
and not to convince them that they don't have guilt, but to absolve them of that guilt and say, whether it's real or imagined, Christ died for your mm-hmm. sin. He died for this. Um, and, and you take that to the cross. And as my good friend Hans Kawi would say, let him bleed all over it. Uh, and, and know that that too is absolved through the blood of Christ. But just continue to take him back to the cross and say, yeah, but why did Jesus have to go to the cross? Why did he do that? Um, so that's... Yeah. Yeah. And probably that's something that seems obvious, but they're probably not getting anywhere else. Right. And when I was at the Warrior Transition Battalion in at Fort Knox, I had a good friend who, who used to work there, and I had interviewed her because I was writing a paper on, I don't remember what it was for, uh, but I, I interviewed her, and she said, yeah, they, uh, they'll check off the box, the physical, the mental, the psychological, but there's one box that isn't checked. And that's the spiritual. Mm-hmm. But the military recognizes that spiritual is important for the morale of the troops because they have the chaplaincy. Mm-hmm. And they understand that the chaplaincy needs to be there for, uh, to, to have a good, solid fighting force, to have soldiers who are able to kill, um, and, and to have that, that spiritual box does need to be checked. But we as Lutherans have what can fill that box, which mm-hmm. is Christ. Mm-hmm. Very good. Yeah. So we're, we're at a good hour here. Um, oh, so man, we have I, so much more to talk okay, about. You but no, t- no, tell, that, tell we, me we the next thing. Done. We, we got, we done. got time here. So I'm, I was going to say, I'll let you uh, pick the last topic if you want, if you want to go a little further. Um, I guess we could go in the, uh, uh, since we talked about the chaplaincy, the, uh, there are, there are people that have questions about it and have asked our committee, so why doesn't the Wells endorse chaplains? Um, and that is a question that we, as, as a committee, go back to again and again, and we study it, and, and we actually commissioned the, uh, or petitioned the Conference of Presidents to commission a study. And this happened a handful of years ago, went back and re-studied it. Uh, but the history of our, our synod with the chaplaincy is that all the way back in the... Um, uh, with our nation's independence and even back to the civilian or to the civil war, we had, we had chaplains. Um, and in world war one, we had work, uh, in the chaplaincy that we, uh, where we worked with the Missouri Synod in sending, uh, mailers to our troops who were in, uh, overseas. Uh, but then what happened in world war one is that, that we saw a need for this to, to serve our troops, and we had what was called the camp pastor who would go to an installation and they would serve. They were called to serve these, these men at this particular place. Then in World War II came around and that was when the Wisconsin Senate started to question this. What, what will our pastors, if, they are in, if we endorse them as chaplains and they're commissioned as an officer and in the, in the chaplain corps, what will they be able to do? What won't they be able to do? What will the, the military force them to do um, as far as doctrine and, and, and practice? Yeah, so the issue is, can a Lutheran go there and serve somebody of a different religion or of a different denomination without compromising yeah. their faith and stuff? It's, it's not, you know, it may, may seem like, an, uh, well, what's the big deal, but... Uh, this is how we deal in all sorts of things in our lives. Yeah. Right. This is not just a religious thing. And uh, what, what, if I take a job and I'm going to be asked to do something that, um, that I don't believe in, um, that's an issue. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah. So that was one of the issues that, that we had in world war two. Uh, but we also saw a great need to serve our troops. Um, so you asked me before how many we had on our, on, in our database, uh, how many, Wells members, do you think we had an, in our database during World War II? I have no idea. <laughs> 22,000. Yeah. We had 22,000 uh, men and women who were, were in our armed forces um, that we needed to serve. And we saw, and we saw a need there. Uh, so, we, again, we had the camp pastor who would go to these installations stateside uh, to, to serve our, our troops there. And then we would mail things to our troops overseas. Uh, Korean War, that was just mailings. Uh, we had Vietnam War. Again, I talked about that before where we had uh, civilian pastors actually go into the combat zone uh, to serve our troops. Uh, and then 
af- uh, the so you have the Cold War again, mailings, and then we have the chaplaincy program in Europe. Mm-hmm. So he's traveling around all the different installations, uh, making sure all of our troops are served overseas. And then you have the Persian Gulf and the Bosnian crisis, and then you have Afghanistan and Iraq. And that's when, it's about 2007 that we, uh, that we established the, uh, the National Civilian Chaplaincy uh, position. Uh, so Pastor Paul Ziemer uh, was our first national civilian chaplain. So his job was to be liaison between our synod and the Pentagon. Um, so he has contacts in the Pentagon. So if, if we have troops somewhere, if we have a question about something, we have people that we can talk to and say, hey, what about this? How do we go about that? Mm-hmm. Um, and there, there are a lot of people there in the Pentagon and in the chaplain corps that are sympathetic to our cause as to why we don't endorse chaplains. Mm-hmm and are willing to help us. Mm-hmm. And some of them are our brothers in the, in the Missouri Synod. Mm-hmm. Uh, chaplain Craig Mueller, who was chief of chaplains, uh, he was at the Pentagon, one of the top guys. Uh, very, very helpful in, in what we were doing trying to reach our, uh, to reach our troops. Um, so, but Pastor Zemer was actually able to go into, uh, into theater uh, over in Afghanistan. No, no, not Afghanistan. He was in Kuwait. Um, but this was before security is what it is now mm-hmm. they don't allow civilians over there anymore sure. yeah sure interesting so yeah so i think as we as we kind of close out here just um there's a lot more to a lot more to think about and uh not only and there's a connection there between the military um fighting for freedom here on earth and then the one who fought for our freedom forever right and uh there's a connection there. Um, one's better than the other one. If we had to, we had to choose, but the reason we were made for eternal freedom is why we have a desire to fight for freedom Mm -hmm. down here. And so, uh, that connection, uh, shouldn't be lost on us. And so we appreciate, uh, all that you do. And of course, all that, um, uh, the United States military does for the cause of freedom around the world, as imperfect as of course, all of that is. And so with the gospel, I think what we can finally say to, uh, people stateside and those, um, serving on our behalf around the world with that gospel uh, message. Uh, There's nothing left to do but let the bird fly. Every evening when the sun goes down Get with my party and I begin to cry I don't care what the people are thinking I'm not drunk, I'm just a tanker I set them up another round I set them up another round Another round, another round, one more round, get me down. I don't care what 